He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, September 4, 2021. Happy Labor Day weekend. Happy Rosh Hashanah, 5782. We've got a special show because these are special times. Lots of problems, all diagnosed well by Stephen Woodrow. He's a state representative from Denver. He returns to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge talking about Biden's handling of Afghanistan climate change, and this Texas abortion law. What are we going to do about that? We have on the great guest, Vicki Coward, CEO of Rocky Mountain Planned Parenthood. She spends time with us telling us how she and her organization plan to respond to this action by the Texas state legislature, which has been blessed in a way by the United States Supreme Court. Dave Gunders, as always, contributes with a beautiful song, Temporary Love, back in the day, 1982, when he recorded it with his scatterbrains. It was kind of the free love era, and we've had it ever since. Women have been liberated, but if men can take control of their body, how's that going to work? We've got a hell of a show. Please enjoy. Thank you. Let me tell you what we do And we don't do at Springer and Steinberg. We do almost everything. We do not do end-of-life planning. That's Michael Bailey. But for all your other legal needs, give me a call. 303-861-2800. I look forward to speaking with you. Michael Bailey, you've been a lawyer for a decade and a half. I have that beat because I'm a lot older, but you and I have something in common. Uh, We both pride ourselves on being good attorneys, and I've shared with you a little list I have, 20 ways to be a good lawyer. Do you want to go through a few of these right now, and we'll keep going on future talks. What about number one, behave yourself? What does that mean to you? slew of things that you can do as an attorney that are unbecoming or unseemly. You know, whether you break the ethical rules or if you just do things that are a little bit sneaky and underhanded, there's no need to do that. You do it the right way. You do it above board. They need a steady, reliable person like you. Give out your contact information. Sure. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. That's how you get a hold of me. I mean, my my website is michaelbaileylawllc.com. And again, that's michaelbaileylawllc.com. You can get a hold of me that way, too. If you want to keep following this story, then please subscribe on whatever podcast medium by which you acquire this sound. 
and then leave a positive review. Push the podcast to your friends. Let them listen. Thank you. This is Vicki. Vicki, thanks so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have a woman in leadership like you. You are the CEO of Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains. And on this impactful week, it's real honor to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really, I'm really pleased to be here and appreciate, um, appreciate the opportunity. I was interested in your background, oil and gas. You got a graduate degree from the Colorado School of Mines. And moving to Colorado, you decided to stay here. What was your reasoning on that? Well, um, I mean, look around, right? Uh, Colorado is such an extraordinary place. And I fell in love with it while I was in grad school at Mines. And frankly, the the not just the beauty of the environment, but the atmosphere, the policy atmosphere, a place of independent thinkers and yet people who really value uh, um, I don't know, the same kinds of, of values I have, letting people make their own decisions. Um, Colorado has been a place that welcomed women in leadership, and um, it just felt like home right away. I watched your beautiful eulogy of Dick Lamb, uh, the governor of Colorado, three-term governor who was uh, responsible for the most progressive uh, pro-abortion law in American history really set us on a course that we continue on to this day. Um, I was very impressed with your eulogy. And the thing about Dick Lamb, who I admired a lot and got to know a little bit, he was courageous. And when did you become aware of Dick Lamb and his role on uh, the issue of reproductive choice? Very, um, very early on, as pretty much as soon as I got out of graduate school, I connected with the reproductive freedom community, and and here's why: um, it, it 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 I I came from a family that n- nobody had ever been in college. Um, my dad was a blue collar worker, drove a, a truck in a copper mine in Arizona. And I was the first kid to go to college anywhere in the family, extended family. And when I got there, I went and I, and I loved math and science. And so I went to a little engineering school in Massachusetts. When I got there, I found that I was one of the only women. Um, there had only been women in that school for um, a couple of years before I got there. And I was shocked. I was like, what, 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 why is that? And, and I realized um, as I began reading and uh, paying attention that um, it was a critical component of how and whether women would get further education, go into careers was dependent on their ability to control their fertility. And if you look at the history, once birth control became widely available, women really moved into the workforce and moved into higher education. And so that kind of radicalized me and I um, became a feminist. And so once I got out of grad school and I had the wherewithal to contribute to my community, I um, was on the board of what what was then 
called Colorado Nayral. Today it's Cobalt. And I did that work for 20 of 25 years. I was involved with that as a volunteer. Um, and it was, it, it when I made, decided to make my last career change, which was almost 20 years ago, I wanted to do something that really moved equity forward and increased access to all people to be able to get the health care they needed and particularly the reproductive health care that they needed. And um, that's how I came to Planned Parenthood. You know, it's a tough issue in some ways, but not a tough issue in others. It was a tough political issue for Dick Lamb, but somehow back in uh, 1967, he put together a bipartisan coalition, mm-hmm. and then he got John Love, the Republican governor from Colorado Springs, to yep. sign it. I was a kid then. I was in high school, but no, I was in junior high, that 1967, just yeah, starting junior yeah. high, but that was epic at the time. How was it possible then, and why does it seem so impossible now? Isn't that an interesting situation? Um, but you're, you and I are pretty close to the same age, I think. And um, I learned early of his courageous willingness to step forward first, first liberalization of the abortion law in the country. And um, here in Colorado, the, the territorial government had made um, abortion not only illegal, but punishable by prison. And he he was aware that bodily autonomy was a critical component of freedom for all people. And so he pushed forward with that idea. And he's quoted as having said, this will probably be the end of my political career. Now, mind you, he was a freshman in the Colorado House. He'd only been in Colorado for five years when he did this. And whether he figured out that Colorado was the prime place to do that, that Coloradans believed in this or whether his leadership led us to that place point being you're right he stuck his neck out he 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 followed his convictions and he was a compelling um advocate for the changes that he brought about and it was a bipartisan vote that moved us into being the first state in the country that allowed began to allow women to access abortion it's a really tough issue. And of course, I learned about it in law school. <clears throat> Dick Lamb was a lawyer. Um, I used to have him in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, and he would be tremendous. But he wrestled with this hard issue, as I think all people do. People on the other side will say, look, of course, we're thinking about the woman as a human being, but what about the unborn child? That's another human being. And I say, No, actually, that's not a human being. That's an inchoate human. It may survive to be born, et cetera, but don't uh, put the same rights on that person. And I would bring up to Dan Kaplitz, who I debated for a decade or more, the fact that we have in vitro fertilization, which I think is tremendous. It allows women who and couples who otherwise couldn't have kids of their own to have that opportunity, but you produce excess Petri dishes. And if there's a fire at the reproductive clinic and you can rescue a box of 24 Petri dishes 
or an elderly security guard who's inhaling smoke, rescue the security guard. And if the guard has a dog, rescue the dog first. It's just a matter of common sense, in my mind. Does that make sense to you? Well, I think um, we we talk about the um, rights of the of the human being. A really important element in here is that idea of bodily autonomy, and and that cuts across a variety of issues. Right, each of us ha- we have our own goals and aspirations and dreams, but we need to be able to. Um, choose our choices, our healthcare choices, our reproductive choices. We need to have control over our own body. Um, and, and that then allows us to pursue those dreams and aspirations. So I just kind of take it back to that individual thing. And again, Colorado believes in individual rights. We've seen that um, we've had, I think, four ballot initiatives in Colorado. The voters very clearly believe in Colorado that individuals should be able to make their own choices on, on things this personal, this deeply related to an individual's well-being, um, that other people don't belong in that decision-making process. So it's a, it's a, it's a good place to be. I think it's related in some ways to we have a high level of education and people really understand the value of people being able to pursue their dreams. I was fascinated by your earlier career, kind of John Hickenlooper-like in the geology (laughs) world, right? And that's in the oil and gas industry, isn't it predominantly Republican? And how did you interact in that world? Um, I was really on the science side of things, and what I've been delighted to find is most of my science colleagues, even though we didn't talk about things like birth control and abortion back then, but there's, again, there's a lot of belief in individuals need to make their own decisions, and so um, the the I don't know if it's the logic of a scientist or whatever, but um, it, it was uh, comfortable in that regard. You know, as a young woman in a male-dominated industry, I certainly ran into sexism and and difficulties. But um, but you know, if you love science, it was a it was a fun job. I could tell you had a great love for Dick Lamb and Dottie Lamb. Dottie Lamb also a prominent activist. And I don't think it was an accident that, one, you were selected to be a speaker at a tremendous uh, funeral at uh, Wings Over the Rockies at Lowry. That was great. People can watch it on YouTube. And I'm going to play some of the sound of you honoring Dick Lamb. But in the New York Times, right when he died, I think it was the first or second paragraph, his leadership on this very issue of reproductive choice Dick Lamb was proud of his role in that. Am I right? Yeah. And um, I think it's worth noting that he worked with, um, as, you, as you say, a, a bipartisan coalition to get this bill passed. It was um, it, in the years that followed, 
more states did come along, but it wasn't until 1973 that Roe v. Wade was passed. So he was definitely out there. Early. He was the first, he was the earliest, and it wasn't like 50 states followed in the next year. It was one state and then another state, and then finally it got to the Supreme Court. But what is poignant and painful is that here we are 50 years later in Texas, and the laws that they have just passed have taken us back to pre-row days. I mean, it's almost as if Dick Lamb's work didn't happen, um, if you see what's happening in that state. I know. Thank God we're not part of Texas anymore. A sliver of Colorado was. And now Colorado is an abortion care haven. And I bet Dick Lamb is proud uh, wherever he is thinking about that. I bet you are. What a... What are the new responsibilities on Colorado? Because a lot of the other surrounding states uh, to the south, I mean, to the northeast of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, wherever, it's either Colorado or New Mexico in terms of closest place for assistance. Am I right? Yeah, um, Colorado and New Mexico are the two states that, that have, again, very clearly place their focus on individuals making their own decisions about this. And we are a little island, if you will, surrounded by states that have much, much more restrictive uh, rules and and regulations. Um, What this means is women patients from across the country are coming to Colorado and New Mexico for abortion services and that was even before the Texas um, the Texas law passed but I'll, I'll tell you this on Tuesday the day of Dick Lamb services we saw only Texas patients in our Albuquerque Health Center hmm. So we are expecting and we are already beginning to see significant numbers of folks traveling. But I want to really make a point about this, and that is um, you only travel for a service like this if you have means. Um, And, you know, if you think about what it... Imagine needing a healthcare service and you've got to figure out, does my car work? Will it, it, I'm going to have to drive 12 hours to get to a location. Um, can I get the day, days off? It's going to take two days to do that. I, you know, what do I do about my children? Where, where's my childcare situation? A lot of the patients who come to us are not working in situations where they've got healthcare insurance. Um, they're proud, they may be working in a minimum wage job. So this is a real hardship on people. And I just want to underscore that it's a hardship for the people who have the means to come all the way to Albuquerque or Colorado Springs from Dallas or Lubbock or Midland or San Antonio, wherever. Um, But think about all the people who can't put that set of conditions together, who can't get the time off, who don't have anybody to take care of their kids. I would imagine a lot of nonprofits will arise. Maybe your organization is already doing it to help defray costs, make it easier. Yeah, there's a robust network of abortion funders that are that have been preparing for this and are in action to help people move from Texas to another location. The law, of course, allows people to sue anybody that supports, helps, gives information to, as well as provides the abortion 
if the abortion takes place in Texas, but you can help people get out of Texas and you can help people reach an abortion provider outside of Texas. And so that's exactly what's happening. A robust network of, of support is being put together. And we're at Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains. Um, Cobalt is doing this as well. A good collection of folks are putting dollars together to so that when patients reach us when they finally make it to us, um, they don't have to worry about the cost of the service as well. We can help with that. My goodness. And Colorado right now has Christy Burton Brown as the head of the Colorado GOP. She tweeted that it's a great day in Texas when September 1 rolled around and 85% of the women seeking abortions were not able to get it. She authored that personhood amendment when she was young. Yeah. It got solidly rejected. And the Texas law is even more draconian. Don't you think there's going to backfire big time on Republican politicians? I sure hope it does. Um, 80% of the people in this country believe that Roe Roe v. Wade was justly found, that it's the right framework for our laws. People believe, not just in Colorado, but beyond, that patients should be able to make their own decision about something as deeply personal as an abortion. And um, I, I, if, <laughs> golly, I hope people will wake up and see how dangerous this is. But, but Ms. Brown is way out of step with Colorado. What, that's an extreme position that she holds, and uh, she will not find much purchase in Colorado with that position. Doesn't this legitimize the question of every legislative candidate, even maybe down to city council members? How do you feel about abortion? Do you support this Texas law or do you not? Uh, because it appears that this is going to come down to individual legislators making the call the way they did in Texas. If we if we lose Roe already, and and let me say that the Supreme Court deciding that this law, I mean, they didn't just not do anything; they actively decided to let this law go into place. Is that's a sign? That is a signal that there is no restriction, no ban, nothing too bad that can be passed in states. There there are twenty. Uh, six states poised to follow suit with Texas. Over 550 laws that would ban or restrict abortion have been introduced in the last year, and about 100 of them passed. Many of them are enjoined. Um, there's one law that has already made its way to the Supreme Court. So the Supreme Court has on its docket a ban of uh, abortions at 15 weeks coming out of Louisiana. When they, uh, we, I, I, we're absolutely um, waiting for gearing up to deal with that the Supreme Court will gut, if not actually overturn, Row, despite 80% approval for it. Uh, when that happens, we're going to see these 26 states begin to shut down access to abortion. 25 million people who may someday need abortion live in those states. This is a dramatic, this is a healthcare crisis on top of the COVID healthcare crisis. And um, it, 
is going to take voters really standing up and saying, no, I need to vote for people who believe that I as an individual can make my own decisions. I need to vote for people that believe in my autonomy. And I hope that's what comes from this. Right. And I think a lot of uh, Republicans running in districts that favored abortion rights said, hey, it's not even an issue. You know, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land, but you can't say that anymore. I do think it will come down to individual elections. But what about we the people as consumers? Do you advocate a boycott of Texas at this point? You know, I don't. um, And in part, Craig, because I haven't had 10 seconds to even think about it. Um, Because usually boycotts don't hurt people who have means. They hurt workers. And already this law in Texas is, it's hurting people of modest means. It's hurting women of color. It's hurting young people. It's, it's hurting families that have already been devastated by COVID. So I urge folks to be careful and cautious about um, something like a boycott. It, 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 it may sound good in headline, but if what happens is folks that are at minimum wage lose their jobs, that's not good. This law is so pernicious, a good word used by Joe Biden. Yeah, and it allows it forum shopping in a state that elects their judges. What could go wrong with that? You think you'd get a fair shot in a conservative jurisdiction that you've never been in with a judge mm-hmm. who's elected, you know, because he's the most Trumpian guy in the world? <laughs> um this law is so evil in every dimension. The idea, it, it, Set aside the abortion issue for a moment. This law encourages people to spy on their neighbors and... and spy for turns, money. Spy for money. Turn states' evidence, if you will, about a deeply personal issue and then get compensated for it. Um, So anybody can sue anybody they think has been involved with abortion, and they can do that up to four years after the abortion occurs. And if they, so first of all, you know, what, what health center assistant reception desk operator wants to be put at risk like that. But then if you were to win that lawsuit, the individual you've sued has to pay you $10,000. That's just wrong. Right. But there's one person, right. There's one person who can't be held liable and that's the woman having the abortion, which to me gives away the game that they're infanticizing women like, oh, females, when they're pregnant, they can't really make choices. They're helpless. We need to make decisions for them. And even if they choose to terminate the pregnancy. We can't hold them responsible. Let's punish others. It goes back to that bodily autonomy question. Um, Women are full human beings and deserve the the care and the respect that all full human beings deserve. Um, We can make our own decisions. We can take care of ourselves and we deserve the right, the same rights as all other individuals. So um, this, this law is wrong on so many levels. Right. And I think it could be a turning point. Sometimes you have to hit bottom before you start bouncing up. The Republicans have way overreached. 
and I am proud of uh, people like you who are giving Texas women an opportunity to exercise what I think should be their right under Roe v. Wade. Now, I love Roe v. Wade because I think it struck the right balance. But what do you say when uh, lawyers argue, as they do to me, okay, it's good legislation, but it's not you're making up a constitutional right that doesn't exist. Now maybe Nancy Pelosi needs to introduce federal legislation parroting Roe v. Wade. Do you think that will happen? Well, um, the speaker has said that she will introduce the Women's Health Protection Act uh, right away. And I know there's robust enthusiasm for that in the House. Um, I think it'll pass from the House and that will codify Roe. Um, And I think that is the right thing to do next. Um, The battle, of course, is going to be in the Senate Um, So we're all going to have to be talking to our senators. We're, again, fortunate here in Colorado because we have two U.S. senators that that care a great deal about um, the the issue of of, um, access to reproductive health care. Both Senator Bennett and Senator Hickenlooper uh, are strong advocates for that, Um, as are um, most of our House members. Um, Certainly, Diana DeGette is a leader in this area as well. But... um, We've got to make our voices known. Uh, And I just, I want to say, we should not be complacent here in Colorado. We have this wonderful 50-year history, starting with Dick Lamb, of doing the right thing when it comes to reproductive rights. But it only takes one bad session in the legislature, one one bad vote um, in an election year to lose the Senate, lose the House, uh, lose a governor's seat where we might be facing something like this ourselves. So everybody has to stay on high alert. You mentioned Senators Hickenlooper and Bennett, and they are strong on this issue. But Dick Lamb was a real leader. Who are the leaders out there? Who do you put your trust in and do you include Joe Biden? I, I've been pleased to see what President Biden, how he has stepped up to this. Um, I'm very sympathetic to the big pile of work that man has to do after moving into the, the White House um, after the last administration with nearly everything broken. And, and I appreciate all that he has done. And I'm really glad that he is solidly with us now. Um, he has stepped up well and at the right time as his vice president has, both of them has. But I, I do want to give another shout out to Diana DeGette. Diana DeGette has been a champion on this issue from the her early days in the Colorado House, where she also showed great leadership by putting together and passing the um, the Oh, God, the bubble law. The, it was the bubble, the bubble law. law. That was it. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, I um, remember, because I know Diana, she went to Colorado College with me. And uh-huh. when I ran against Bill Ritter for Denver DA, he was a Democrat and I was independent, unaffiliated. But I tried to make abortion an issue. And they said, come on, this has nothing to do with anything. I said, one, we've got the new yes. bubble law that a prosecutor is going to have to enforce. And two, Bill Ritter might go on to greater office, and it might not be that great to have pro-life Democrats. Now, Bill Ritter is entitled to his opinion, but I was pretty correct about all that, wasn't I? 
Yeah, you were. You went a little prescient on that. Yeah. And um, it does matter at the city level. Um, before the state passed its law in Texas, Senate Bill 8 in Texas, the town of Lubbock, the city of Lubbock, passed a very, very similar law that allowed, um, that, that basically outlawed abortion in the city of Lubbock. So it can be local. I know how busy you are. The demands on you are incredible. I have confidence you are up to it because I studied you giving that eulogy and you've been fantastic to spend time with us. Good luck to you, Vicki Coward. I'm behind you 100%. Thank you very much, Craig, and good luck to us all. We have got to stay together on this. We are in this together. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go. You know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to LLC.com And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Welcome. Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Hello, sir. Representative Stephen Woodrow, welcome back to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Thank you for having me, Craig. How are you? I'm distressed. I've never seen uh, a cataclysmic set of events such as are occurring in America. And I also think this might have been the worst week or two in the history of um, women in the world, right? I've never seen women treated with such disrespect. The Taliban in charge, Texas restricting abortion laws, our U.S. Supreme Court not uh, intervening. I know you are upset about it because I follow your Twitter feed, and you are prolific and 
very sharp there. Way to go. But there's so many other things, Steve. Can we start on some other stuff first? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? I'm down. I want to talk about 5782, Rosh Hashanah, another year when most of us are not going to the synagogue. It's the head of the year, a time for optimism. I uh, just wanted to give you that greeting, and uh, so many things have changed, including religion in modern times, right? Well, this has been a tough year, and, you know, part of part of Rosh Hashanah is about renewal and rebirth um, and, and wishing everyone a sweet year. It's, it's tough. We're in tough times. Um, these are, these are strange days. We've got a lot of people who are embracing lies. They're committing acts of violence based on those lies. And when it's brought to their attention, they project. And so, you know, what, what the next year holds in store for all of us, you know, has me on, on sort of pins and needles, um, because we got to get a grip. We have to come back and get a little centered, um, and remember what's really important. And you're right. Women's rights are under attack. Uh, healthcare rights are under attack, our democracy is under attack, and the people doing the attacking uh, just seem more interested, engaged in projection uh, and sort of crass, craven politics. And it is sad, um, but, you know, that's what we're here for. We're here to do the work and to, to pull ourselves out of this sort of dark morass and, and find the light. And uh, I really appreciate you letting me on and, you know, getting to discuss this stuff because I think that's the only way we're going to be able to get through it. Well, here's what I like about your Twitter feed. You don't pull your punches. You lay this right at the feet of the GOP, the modern Trump GOP. And I agree that you are an elected official from Denver. And I think it's important for state reps like you to speak the truth. And it manifested itself of course, with the events of January 6th, but as an attorney, as a state legislator, as a person who works in our state capitol, as opposed to the U.S. capitol, the obstruction this week by Kevin McCarthy threatening companies that you better not comply with these lawful orders or we won't forget, that's mafia stuff. That's obstruction of justice. Where's Merrick Garland? You're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. What's up with that? Yeah, the the Department of Justice has been really slow to react and needs to be far more proactive with what's going on. We have, uh, you know, domestic terrorists. We have right wing mobs who are threatening violence, um, and it's a it's it's serious and it has to be taken seriously. Um, I use, for lack of for lack of other resources, you know, Twitter is a place where we can still speak truth to power. The emperor has no clothes. And so long as he's walking around naked, I'm going to call him out for it. Um, and Kevin McCarthy seems far more interested in trying to cover up the fact, you know, that, you know, he's been going around telling everyone how beautiful the wardrobe is. I just think his credibility is shot. He tried to put Jim Jordan on the panel. Jim Jordan, uh, material witness. McCarthy should not even have participated in the process. Everybody knows the significance of every word that the former president said on January 6th. And they act like we've never tackled these uh, sorts of situations before. It's a conflict of interest. Get off the case. 
Well, as a wise person once told me, Craig, never underestimate the power of denial. Uh, that's what they've got. They have denial, deflection, projection, turn it back around, blame Biden, say that Joe Biden is, you know, suffering from from uh, cognitive decline. You know, it's uh, everything that we said about Trump, you know, they understood perfectly well. And you know that because they use those as attacks against Joe Biden. You know, they start talking about the 25th Amendment. They didn't know what the 25th Amendment was until we started saying we should be using it against President Trump. They don't even, it's, it's, uh, they take their biggest weakness and they just turn around and project. And they know that there's a certain segment of the electorate that wants to hear it. They're craving these lies. They want to be lied to because it's hard, Craig. It's tough to admit that you voted for a guy who tried to overthrow democracy. It's tough to admit you voted for a guy who got his butt kicked by 7 million votes. It's tough to admit that you voted for, you know, presidents who supported 20 years of war. It's tough to admit that you support policies that uh, degrade the earth and cause climate change. It's hard to admit that gun violence is real. And so rather than admit these things, they deny and deflect and just project outward. It, no, it's not the fact that, uh, you know, uh, we we don't believe in climate science. That's just it's a hoax. Gun violence? No, it's it's a million other things. It's mental health care, as if they care about mental health. Um, but that's where we find ourselves. It is a rising tide of fascism. When we hear about people threatening school board members, when you hear about someone going into a kid's school with zip ties to do a citizen's arrest on the principal of that school, it is all designed to intimidate, to effectuate a political outcome. And that is the very essence of fascism. And we're either going to start paying attention to it and calling it out, or we're going to be like the economist and complain about the woke left, as if that's, you know, the power source in America. And that's where things are pushing. We're all so woke that we can't get anything done. It's nonsense. They refuse to look inward. And so long as they refuse, we're all the worse off for it. I totally agree. And it's corrupting the rule of law. Thank goodness that prosecutor down in Georgia on the Armad Arbery case, the former conservative prosecutor who protected the chief suspect, who was her prior chief investigator in the DA's office, she saw no need to get off the case. In fact, she made sure the guy wasn't arrested. And now she's being held accountable. To me, that's very similar to what Kevin McCarthy is involved in. That's absolutely right, Craig. People, the, the people I argue with online like to ask all the time, oh, give me an example of systemic racism. Give me an example where it's systemic. It's systemic when a white supremacist doesn't get charged because he's buddy-buddy or she's buddy-buddy with the prosecutor's office. It's systemic when you have well-connected people who are literally allowed to get away with murder until there's a video leak, until there's a public outcry. And we got to bring it back to Colorado because it happened with Elijah McClain. God bless you. God rest his soul. You know, they, they went out, they do what they do. They, they prepare a report, uh, you know, that shows, you know, we've investigated and, you know, the police officers did nothing wrong. And then you have a, you know, a former DA like George Brockler go out and endorse the report, you know, produced by his buddy DA Dave Young. And it lends this air of credence to the investigation. And thank goodness attorney general Weiser, uh, had had the the smarts and the intelligence and the and the leadership. I mean, Governor Polis appointed him to do this, but he did the job right. 
They investigated. They presented the facts to the grand jury. And now we have a 32-count indictment against these officers and medics that never would have happened without political pressure. It never would have happened without people out in the street marching and demanding justice for Elijah McClain. Because we know what what was going to happen. D.A. Young produced his report. D.A. Brockler says, look at this amazing job D.A. Young did. And every other person just nods and says, well, I guess they know what they're talking about. That is when we say systemic racism. That's when we say it's part of the parcel of the system. We have to get the right people in or else you get results that deny people justice. And thank goodness we had uh, the, the right governor for the time and the right attorney general for the time. Otherwise, Elijah McLean's family you know, wouldn't even have charges brought against these officers. Totally agree. The criminal justice system is so important. People are feeling like crime is expanding. That horrible murder in mid-August of Shmuel Silverberg at Colfax and Stewart at the Yeshiva Torres Chaim. Another man got shot at Colfax and Lafayette. Five individuals have now been charged. They apparently met in the Lookout Mountain Youth Center. That's in your bailiwick. The state of Colorado is involved. Did you take note of this? And don't you think that's a vulnerability, perhaps, of Democrats as crime increases in Denver, Colorado, Aurora, and throughout America? We're all responsible for the increase in crime. We all have a duty to act and and come up with solutions, you know, to figure out why these crimes keep occurring. I note that the common denominator in gun violence is guns and easy, ready access to guns. And we have to do a better job at keeping firearms out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. We have over 420 million guns in circulation. It's a very difficult task. We've got to start talking about import restrictions or taxing or other things that we can do to slow down the rate of gun purchases. Because what we have is essentially proliferation, and that equals a weapon of mass destruction. And so every day we're going to be hearing headlines of, of you know, toddlers finding guns and accidentally shooting people. We're going to hear about parents bringing guns to school in order to settle scores. We're going to be hearing about gun violence so long as we have uh, a mass proliferation of guns. At the same time, you know, people have to have agency and people have to have responsibility. And so if you're out there today and by you are by chance listening and you're caring right now, really think about why you need to be holstering that, that sidearm. Really think about, you know, the danger that, you know, you're actually posing to yourself and others. Because when there's no gun in the equation, no one gets shot. I totally agree. Let's talk about another tough issue where somebody had to take a stand, and Joe Biden did. He got us out of Afghanistan. Did he do it successfully, or was it a bit of a debacle? What's your feeling, Steve Woodrow? Yeah, I think I, I think I'm, I'm with everyone when I say I really wish it would have gone more smoothly. I wish there would have been more planning, and that you know we can end a 20-year war uh, without incident. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that this was a two-decade-long mess started by people who uh, demanded that we go to war, and then two years in, demanded that we start a second war, um, and then. You know, it's basically been ignored by the American people for the last 11 years. Uh, very, very few news reports about what was happening in Afghanistan for the past decade uh, as Americans were dying, as Afghans were dying, as political corruption was running rampant. 
So, you know, I think Joe Biden, at the end of the day, President Biden is going to be remembered as the one who ended the war and that it ended messy like wars end. Um, I do think that, you know, the press has been a little opportunistic in all of a sudden focusing on Afghanistan. It's probably the reason this, by the way, the blowback that the president's facing is the reason the war kept going. Because President Trump didn't have the, the backbone to actually end it while he was still in office. He kicked the can down the road after letting out a bunch of Taliban fighters and, you know, uh, no art of the deal, cracking a terrible negotiated settlement. President Biden uh, extended it uh, to, August 30, to August 31st. I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm glad we're out. Yes, I wish it would have gone much smoother, but the idea that we've just abandoned people is nonsense. It's one of the most successful airlifts in the history of mankind. Uh, over 100,000 uh, folks, you know, removed out of the country. State Department gave numerous warnings uh, to folks to, to get out. Um, and that's what they need to do because the Taliban are terrorists. And we know that they're terrorists. But we were lied to for 20 years and told that they were on the run, that they had been so weakened that it was okay we go start a completely different war a couple of doors down. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, Craig, anyone who supported the invasion of Iraq in 2003 should probably be staying quiet right now in terms of their criticism of how uh, the war in Afghanistan went. They abandoned Afghanistan 18 years ago when they decided to start a completely different war based on lies. They were they, they told us that Afghanistan was all buttoned up and that we were just going to be there for a little bit longer and that we could go engage in military adventurism. And that was false. It was a war based on lies. It was a horrible mistake. And the same hawks that had the audacity to tell us that we were going to be treated as liberators and welcomed with open arms are the same ones who now have the gall to stand up and say, oh, we didn't end this war properly. The media has culpability. The Republican Party has culpability. And you know what? Any Democrat who voted for the Iraq invasion in 2003 bears some responsibility as well. I do note, I think there were 126 Dems in the House that voted against it. There were 21 Dems in the Senate that voted against it. That number should have been, uh, it should have been every Dem voting against it. That Those wars shouldn't have received a single Democrat vote. Um, but here we are. Uh, I think President Biden is going to be remembered as the one who ended it. Um, and I don't think that the story is going to be everything was perfect and swimming and butterflies uh, up until the very end. Let's talk about the GOP. Every week, I change my mind on the order of the top 10 worst Republicans. Greg Abbott has to be up there, Ken Paxton. But you have to throw in some new candidates in the Trump era of the GOP. I notice you are warring a little with Josh Mandel in Ohio. And let's take after one of our members of our tribe. What's up with that guy, and why do you take him on? I think he's realized that lies sell, and that if you, you know, pander to people and tell them that the problem is Democrats and liberals, and you fight that culture war, look, I mean, they're taking pages out of the Bobert Green playbook. Um, it's, it's, In Ohio. It's not a mystery anymore. Right. We now know that there's... In Ohio, right, but there's a there's a segment of our population, like I said before, that wants to be lied to. If there's a demand, right, right, for lies, right? They wanted to be lied to about the election. When Fox News broke with that and started saying, no, it looks like Biden won the election, 
this contingent left Fox and went to OANN and went to Newsmax and said, no, we're going we're gonna to go to whomever's going to lie to us. And then Fox actually had to, you know, start sort of easing the lies back in with Tucker and Sean. And so that's the situation. And so, you know, there's going to be enterprising, opportunistic politicians out there who feed the lies. You know, it's, it's supply and demand. You tell me you want to be lied to, well, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to say the bold truth, and I'm going to speak truth to power as much as I can until I'm blue in the face. Other folks are just going to give you the lies because they know they can raise a lot of money. Lauren Boebert lies for a living and raises a ton of money. Yes, she does. So does Marjorie Taylor Greene. I got encouraged by Patagonia boycotting Jackson Hole, Wyoming, when they hosted Marjorie Taylor Greene. I think there should have been consequences on the El Paso GOP. I can't stand that woman. But let's stick with Ohio just a little bit. Josh Mandel is trying to get the Republican nomination. Portman's retiring, right? And then J.D. Vance, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, is running. What's up with that guy? Well, J.D. Vance, you know, understands what I'm saying perfectly. J.D. Vance knows that there are aggrieved white people in rural parts of Ohio who want nothing more than to be told lies, want nothing more than to be told that nothing's their fault, that gun violence isn't real, systemic racism is just made up by the left and crazy leftists, and they're aggrieved. I mean, today he was tweeting about, uh, you know, white babies being killed. I mean, white replacement theory, white identity politics. And that's, that's the lie he's prepared to feed. Um, he wrote Hillbilly Elegy. He understands the exact message that they want to hear. It's not your fault. You're good people. You're actually under attack. You're victims. And so long as you tell people that they're victims, they can't be blamed for anything. They don't have to take responsibility or be held accountable for any of the things they do. It's not that they're willfully spreading a virus that's getting people sick and overloading our hospitals and killing folks and have kept us on lockdown for almost two years now. No, not that at all. They're victims of government overreach. They're victims of potential mask mandates and people taking away their freedom. And so long as you tell these folks that they're victims, there's enough people who want to believe it. And so long as they can persist in the victim mindset, they're saying to themselves, it's not my fault. So I can keep going on spreading this virus. I can keep going on spreading misinformation and and lies about the vaccine uh, and everything else and not feel bad about it, not feel the guilt that usually attends uh, spreading a deadly virus and watching people die. Over 650,000 Americans have died of COVID-19, and they can't be bothered to feel any guilt or any shame about the misinformation they've spread because they've convinced themselves that they're victims. I think we've talked about this before. Voltaire said, if you can get people to you know, believe absurdities, you can get them to commit atrocities. And let's face it, spreading a communicable disease and then you know, taking horse dewormer and lying about it is pretty atrocious. And that's what we have. We have bad behavior, and J.D. Vance is there to meet the demand. He knows they want to be told that they're victims. He knows that they want to, be, that they want to hear the message of, I'm going to fight back for you. It's these folks who've harmed you, and I'm going to fight back. Not, we should be, the virus is the enemy, okay? The virus is what we have to come together and combat. But they would rather make the enemy liberals. 
They'd rather make the enemy the government. That way they can get elected, stay in office, and keep spewing their nonsense. Sounds like Joe Rogan, who moved to Texas. He just got COVID. He's treating it with ivermectin, which is a veterinary product, which is pushed on a lot of mediums. And a lot of young people listen to Joe Rogan and others. Let's go down to Texas, where... I I visited. I went to that voting rights rally at the Texas State Capitol with Beto O'Rourke and Willie Nelson was there. It was really quite something. I'd never been on the grounds of the Texas State Capitol before, but I got me a bicycle and I rode around a couple days and I couldn't believe the proliferation of Confederate monuments, you know, tributes to the Texas heroism, what great fighters during uh, the Civil War, Jefferson Davis on a proud perch. It's a different place down there, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, it goes back to what I was just saying, though. You know, if it's hard, Craig, to admit that your ancestors uh, murdered their fellow countrymen for the right to own black people. That's a really hard thing to admit. So rather than admit it, you just deny and you come up with a different narrative. Oh, we were fighting for states' rights. They were they were repelling northern aggression. They were the victims. The South was truly noble. It's not that my ancestors were actually pretty awful people or people who did pretty awful things. That's hard to know that you descend from that. No, no one wants to feel that way about their forebears. So you may as well lie. You may as well concoct a completely different bullshit story that they were really heroes and everyone else has it ass backwards. And that's why it's always hilarious when you talk, when you argue with these people, the first thing they say is, well, Democrats started the KKK. Yeah, Democrats like Jefferson Davis. Right. <laughs> Democrats and, and, and you Republicans uh, you know, like Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, Democrats you Republicans like were great guys when you had Lincoln and Grant and some people who really believed in black people's rights, but that all got switched around especially in the South. I'm just so disgusted by it. And you bring up the Alamo. I recommend anybody reading that book, Forget the Alamo, because it taught me a lot that I did not know. Those men died to try to preserve slavery in Texas, and it was Mexican territory, and they didn't like slavery because they had been discriminated against by Europeans on account of their skin color. So Correct. It's, and there's... Uh, it's just, look at me, I'm an old guy, and I just learned this. Denial. Craig, but we have to get past the adolescent denialism. You know, it's this, I know you are, but what am I? Or, you know, we didn't used to be so racist 100 years ago. You know, Democrats started the KKK. Okay, well, let's take down these statues of Klansmen. No, you're erasing our heritage. Right? That's when they admit that, that, it, that it belongs to them. That's when they take ownership. That's when they blow a gasket, is when we're no longer revering uh, these you know, monuments to racism, right? Because they, they can't accept reality. The denialism is so deep because they need it. They need the, they need the alternative facts. And, you know, Trump was a master of this. He lied, told over 30,000 lies to these folks to make them feel better about the the nonsense that they've engaged in. Don't worry, climate change changes a hoax invented by China. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to feel guilty for 
you know, attaching the coal box to your truck or doing any of the other things that you've done, scoffing at the science. You don't have to feel bad about spreading a disease. You don't have to feel bad about gun violence. You don't have to feel bad about any of the stuff that the left is suggesting you, you take a little bit of responsibility for. None of that is true. You're victims, and I'm going to punch back on your behalf. And, you know, that's, you know it, it sort of goes hand in hand with fascism. You get lies and you get violence. Um, and people are thirsting for lies, and they're reacting violently. I mean, we're seeing plots to kidnap uh, public officials. We're seeing murder threats. We're seeing, uh, you know, the insurrection on January 6th, which they can't even decide whether or not it was awful and and it was Antifa, uh, or if it was really them who did it. And if they did, they were just a bunch of tourists taking selfies. They can't accept responsibility for any of it. And what we need are adults. And, you know, did Afghanistan uh, end the way any of us would have wanted it to? No. But was President Biden an adult who made the decision and carried it through and actually ended it like an adult and took it on the chin? He did. And we need more of that. We need more adults in the room, more adult behavior, and less of this childish, adolescent denialism that doesn't serve anyone. It just makes our problems worse. It's like this. It's like the person who keeps smoking. You know, they, they get diagnosed with a tumor, and they say, oh, it must have been something else. No, you smoked four packs a day for, for 30 years. You're really going to blame it on other things? Well, no, I just can't accept responsibility for the things I've done. The amount of denialism... Uh, is what I find most troubling. I would love in the next year for us to come back to reality, even if it sucks. Reality's hard, man. Reality means that we have to deal with health care and education and, and voting rights and suppression and violence and, and, you know, grapple with these issues and really dive into them and try to figure out solutions. That's difficult. That's hard work. It's easy to deny it's a cop-out. It's laziness. And that's what we have. We have a bunch of, you know, intellectual laziness going on where people decide, eh, I could, I could actually, you know, vote for someone or, or you, know, you know, support causes that, that might make a difference. Or I can just throw my hands in the air, say both sides and cast my vote for Lauren Boebert. I know. Just when you think, well, maybe we need to separate from the South, then what about Western Colorado, which was once part of Texas? I think that's part of the problem. Look, they won't accept responsibility, accountability. So to me, responsibility needs to be affixed on them. And that's where um, we have power as lawyers to do certain things. We also have power as consumers how do we react to Texas, their voting rights law, their gun laws, and now this abomination of a restriction of a constitutional right of women to have uh, control of their own bodies? Do we boycott Texas? Do we target lawyers who have the temerity to bring these kind of lawsuits? What, what is the proper reaction? The first thing is absolutely boycott Texas. Um, I posted a list of the top 25 Texas companies on my Twitter feed. Uh, it, it's tough. There's so many companies that operate out of Texas, and they make so many of the things that we need. But at the end of the day, there are alternatives. And uh, there's nothing like the power of the purse. 
And when companies fear that their bottom line is going to be affected, that's when they start moving. They thought it would be great if they all moved to Texas uh, for, for lower taxes and less regulation. Well, they're going to find out that there's a cost to it, that there's a flip side to it, that there's you know, uh, economic pressure um, from people who are sick and tired of watching repressive laws get put into place. They're attacking voting rights. They don't want people to vote, and the reason is simple, because when people vote, Republicans lose. When, when people vote, Republicans lose and Democrats win. So the answer is make it more difficult to vote. And then we can just ask questions and, and rhetorically, and, well, what's wrong with requiring ID? You know, even though off-camera they give away the punchline, it's more difficult for people of color and minorities and poor people to get ID. And therefore, you know, we can suppress the vote that way. And we don't actually have to talk about it directly. But that's all it is. There's no incidences of voter fraud except for the handful of Republicans who, you know, cast votes for dead people or their spouses when they're not allowed to. It's a widespread voter fraud. The only attempt to steal the election was engaged in by Donald Trump and his GOP associates. And by goodness, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, better start waking up and really pushing prosecutions of these folks and actually give them uh, the sentences that they deserve. Because, I, you know, I, a study came out this week, uh, you know, the BLM protests, the Antifa protests uh, over the summer that were 93% uh, peaceful. But there were incidences of violence. And those people are getting much harsher sentences and much harsher punishments than the people who actually tried to attack our democracy and stop Congress from certifying electors. I mean... These folks care so little for the Constitution and our republic that they try to shut down a representative process and actually intimidate the vice president of the United States into not counting electors and throwing them out. And Trump wasn't acting alone. He had a host of congressmen. He had a host of senators acting at his behest. Uh, you know, we're really lucky, you know, that, that the uh, secretary of state of Georgia was more on the up and up than Trump had hoped. And he wasn't going to just go find him votes. Um, but we do. We, we have a responsibility, yes, as lawyers and yes, as people in government. We have a responsibility as citizens to one another to not let this type of bullshit pass without consequence. And yet, that's what their whole gig is. They want to do bad things, pass bad policies, enrich their friends, engage in graft and grift, and get away with it just so they can thumb their nose and say, see, we told you all along it was all bullshit. It's the worst form of cynicism. It's anti-American, and we got to get our heads back on straight. We have to have enough of us come together, people of good conscience, willing to speak up and say, no, the emperor has no clothes. Stop trying to gaslight me and tell me that his clothes and his wardrobe look beautiful. He's naked. Can't you just accept that? And, and until that happens... You know, we're going to keep fighting these battles. We're going to keep, you know, having to press all the time uh, for our rights uh, and for women's rights and the rights of people who can get pregnant. They're under attack uh, from all corners. And, you know, we want to talk about lawyers. You know, I, I can only tell you how pleased I am to know that the judge in Michigan decided to go and sanction Trump's legal team. Uh, and, you know, I really hope that they end up having to pay a ton of money uh, illegal fees and everything else for abusing uh, our system. You know, our system only works when officers of the court, like you and me, uh, engage in good faith. And we're not allowed to lie in court. That's what's so great about our justice system. You're not allowed to lie. As a politician, 
on, on going in interviews and going on Fox News. Yes, you have a First Amendment right, for better or worse, to lie, uh, so long as you don't defame individuals. You have the ability to spread false information. You want to go on uh, a podcast and start talking about how the vaccine is fake and that COVID's a hoax, and you want to be one of these right-wing radio talk show hosts who ends up in the hospital and dying, that's, that's your right. But you and I, as lawyers, do not have that right to do that in the courtroom. We do not have that ability. And when lawyers abuse that and start lying and start pushing their nonsense in a court of law, well, that's the time that the courts have to step up. And that's one of the things I love about the law and I love about practicing is the fact that we, we have a system that is designed to, at the end of the day, cut out the noise, cut out the bullshit, and get to the truth. And that's why Trump's 60 bogus lawsuits failed, and that's why his lawyers are getting sanctioned. Because they got it in their head somehow that just because he's lying outside of court, they have the ability to go lie inside of court. And the courts are reminding them, no, you do not. Right. That the court, shit doesn't fly in an American court of law. Right. Courts in Michigan, uh, U.S. District Court magistrate in Denver issued a tremendous ruling sanctioning attorneys. I don't know if there was any disciplinary referrals, but... I don't have confidence that you would get a good result in the Texas court. They elect their judges. Under this new legislation, they get to pick the jurisdiction in Texas of their choice. And, oh, my God, can you imagine the most conservative district in Texas with the judge that they've elected handling these lawsuits, uh, handing out $10,000 judgments left and right? But that's the light on Rosh Hashanah, which is— I think they've overreached. I think this is ridiculous to have six weeks to determine if you are going to have an abortion. It runs so far afield of Roe v. Wade. In Colorado, a woman named Christy Burton Brown has been bringing that personhood amendment in some of its forms. It was so obviously going to backfire on Republicans that even the archbishop said, no, no, we're, really, we're not by this one, you know, but... Now, that kind of law is in effect in Texas. Christy Burton Brown's the head of the Colorado Republican Party. She tweeted, it's a great day in Texas. Well, maybe it is in Texas, but that shit can't win in Colorado, except maybe on the Western Slope, right? Well, it just goes to show how little respect and deference they have for the Constitution. Okay, The Texas law is blatantly unconstitutional. Everyone knows it. Even the Supreme Court knows it. Even the five who just let it pass with their heads in the sand know it's unconstitutional, but they don't care. And that's the problem, right? They're sitting there thinking that this is a victory. No, they've overreached horrifically, and they're going to feel it at the ballot box because they do not understand that abortion is health care, and they should stick their noses somewhere else. The fact that they've now... Uh, engaged in essentially bounty hunting, right? We've, we've now are going to have the, the neighbors that snoop on each other. Uh, and, you know, if the Republican Party in any state thinks that the American people want, you know, their neighbors snitching on their aunts for driving them to the hospital to go get a procedure performed, they've got another thing coming. But at the end of the day, they don't care. They want to control women's bodies. They want to talk a good game about you know, my body, my choice when it comes to the vaccine uh, and bodily autonomy, and that's between me and my doctor. 
But when it comes to abortion, they're just looking to control people. And if they really cared about life, they're not pro-life, they're anti-abortion. If they really cared about life, they would be wearing masks. They'd be getting vaccinated. They wouldn't be spreading lies about COVID. They'd be aghast at 650,000 dead Americans, but they're not. It doesn't save them because at the end of the day, they're not pro-life, they're pro-control. And that's what we have in Texas. Now you have essentially the Stasi spying on each other, uh, you know, sneaking off to get judgments. And, you know, whenever it does happen, whenever one of these lawsuits is brought, that's according to the 5-4 Supreme Court majority, that's what's going to kick it into the court system. I don't think that these laws are actually going to persist, but it just shows you the contempt that they have for the Constitution. They don't care. They don't care about the right to privacy. They don't care about uh, stare decisis and precedent. What they care about is getting their way. And that's why they tried to stack the court. That's why uh, Mitch McConnell stole uh, that Supreme Court seat. It's why he rammed through Amy Coney Barrett, uh, because they want this type of result. They want, uh, you know, their their anti-abortion view imposed on the rest of the country. It's anti-woman. It's anti-persons who can get pregnant. And it's enough already. Literally, no jobs are created. No one's problems are solved by this. It just creates more headaches, especially for, you know, people who get pregnant who are poor and minorities and people of color. Because let's face it, Craig, the well-off rich white people are going to continue to get abortions in Texas and elsewhere. And abortions uh, are, <laughs> are, are done across religious lines. They're done across party lines. Um, there's, there's uh, a demand, no matter who you are, um, for these services. And so all this is, is is setting us back, you know, tremendously. They view it as, as a victory. You know, my first week down at the Capitol, I watched Christy Burton Brown come out and and try to pass a, you know, a 22-week ban and then, you know, a, a fetal heartbeat bill or whatever it was. At the end of the day, you know, we defeated it because we we have Democratic majorities. But if it was a Republican uh, health committee, it would have gotten out. It would have gotten voted on. And that's what they want. Right. They want to impose their views on it, on others. It's it's theocratic. And, you know, I thought that, you know, they were just railing against the Taliban for theocracy. Mm-hmm. But no, at the end of the day, they don't mind the theocracy. So long as it's their religion, they get to impose. That's right. And it's a patriarchy. When you look at this law, they criminalize everybody except the woman. Oh, the poor woman, she can't make a decision for herself. How could we hold her responsible? That's infantilizing the woman, treating her like some lesser individual who has no capacity to control her own body or make good decisions. It's just outrageous. And Christy Burton Brown, she's going to lead the Republicans in Colorado right into the sewer drain. And I, I wonder what will happen with tech. You said nobody will get a job. I think some Texas lawyers will say, hey, here's an opportunity. We're in the right jurisdiction. Let's start suing. We know the judge. We gave him campaign contributions. I mean, the fallout from this is going to be amazing. I agree, but I also have a little bit more faith in, in the lawyers in Texas. I do think that these cases will be brought. They absolutely will be brought because there are, there are fanatics who will bring them. But, you know, Texas also has a very high standard of professional conduct, 
everyone who practices in Texas has to sign off that they've read Gandhi Properties, which is the Texas Supreme Court's, you know, sort of, it's enshrined in the Supreme Court decision in Texas as to your uh, standards as practicing as, a, as an attorney. You're not allowed to go in and lie. You're not allowed to push unconstitutional theories. I think this is going to come back to bite them. Eventually, these cases go up to an appellate court, and you know, even the conservative Fifth Circuit uh, can take a hard look at this and, and overturn it. And so, you know, I, I, the law is terrible. It's, it, it foments anti-Americanism, um, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the legal system. It is a third and independent branch of government, and thank goodness we have it, because it is really the last line of defense um, against fascism, against lying. Right, but you can't, but it's six you to can't three act against, violently. You can't lie. Yeah, but it's 6-3 against, uh, you know, reproductive choice on the court. At least Roberts had uh, some respect for precedent, whether it goes down with this Texas law or the Mississippi law that's coming, I think Roe v. Wade is hanging by a thread. I always argued with capitalists about this issue, and I said, man, you're like the dog chasing the car. If you catch it, what are you going to do? Because right now, I think in every legislative race in Colorado or anywhere, it's a fair question to say, do you support this Texas law or do you not? How do you feel about these things? And they'll say, well, what do I have to do with it? Because it's going to come down to every state legislator. And even if you're running for city council, that's a stepping stone. Tell us your position on abortion. It, it becomes the issue, and it's a loser for Republicans, at least in Colorado. I think it's a loser for them almost everywhere. You know, when you talk about the extreme, just the extreme nature of the bill, you're absolutely right. It is the dog that chases the car. Um, I think at, at the end of the day, you know, this, this coming election, you know, whether it's this year or in the spring or you're talking about next November, people are not going to go to the ballot box thinking about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Okay? They're going to be going and thinking about uh, making ends meet. They're going to be thinking about COVID. They're going to be thinking about who's done the best job for them. Right? And Democrats win on all that stuff. They're also going to be thinking about who's the extremists. And, you know, when you look at these, these anti-abortion laws, when you look at what they're trying to pull, when you look at, you know, incentivizing your neighbors to spy on you, um, at the end of the day, that's a loser with most Americans. Most Americans respect privacy, and they want nothing to do with a law like this. And a guy like you will drive it home. You'll be on the ballot November 22, correct? Uh, as of now, I have no plans otherwise, you know, God willing. How can it's, people uh, get involved in your campaign, Steve? Um, How can people well, get involved uh, in your campaign? I mean, you can contact me. At, yeah, you can contact me at, uh, you know, Stephen at WoodroverCo.com. Um, but, you know, I, I am in Denver. I'm in, you know, a fairly, fairly decent position. What we need are we need grassroots organizers to come together and pay attention to what's happening uh, at the state level with our statewide offices. We've got to make sure that we retain our attorney general. If it was a Republican attorney general, no justice for Elijah McClain. 
Okay, it's that simple. We have to protect and reelect Jenna Griswold as Secretary of State, who was a Republican Secretary of State, to coin flip as to whether or not we'd be in the middle of some ridiculous Arizona type uh, shenanigans going on with our election system. Uh, we have to reelect our treasurer, Dave Young. We have to, you know, hold and hopefully expand the state Senate. Um, you know, this past session, we were able to pass six gun bills. We were able to pass a transportation bill. We were able to do a tremendous amount of good uh, on the environment and on health care and on education because we have uh, a Democratic majority in the House and in the state Senate. And those Senate seats are up. Uh, next November. So if you want to help me, the best thing that we can do is come together, identify the Senate races that are close, and get out there and bust our butts and do the grassroots work, because that's what actually wins elections. It's not, it's not TV ads. It's not Twitter. It's not yelling at each other on cable news. It's actually talking to our neighbors, text messaging, phone banking, lit dropping, canvassing, um, letter writing, postcard writing, all of those things are what actually wins elections. And so we have to get out there. We have to get our message out. We have to let people know that we're the adults in the room. COVID is real, and we're going to figure out ways to, to solve it. Climate change is real, and we're working on ways to solve it. Systemic racism is real. We're not going to ignore it, and we're working on ways to solve it and bring justice to the families. You know, all of those things matter, and that's things that Democrats care about. It's things that Americans care about, right? Americans don't want to pollute the planet. Americans don't want to lose 40,000 people a year to gun violence. Americans don't want to lose uh, 650,000 people to a communicable disease. Americans want solutions, and only the Democratic Party is offering them. The Republican Party is offering you $10,000 to go turn in your neighbor's aunt. You are the real deal. Representative Stephen Woodrow, I can't thank you enough for coming back to the lounge. Keep up your strong fight, okay? Craig, you're the best. Thanks for having me on, man. Take care. Bye now. Wow, when you've been practicing law for almost 40 years like me, you learn a thing or two. If you have a legal problem, give me a call, 303 303- 861-2800 at Springer and Steinberg. We do all kinds of law. Call me 303-861-2800. We will help solve your problem. Thank you. Is this the scoopador? I'm not the scoopador. Is this the troubadour? This is the troubadour. You reference my scooping of my dog's poop, and you sometimes no, call me the poopador. Well, the dogs are the poopadors, and you're no, and it has no. That's that's more of a reference to your scoop, scooping the story, Craig. Oh, thank you. I'll take that's that what I'm any saying. day. You find those stories, and you and you investigate. That's the scoop. I love that. I will take that name. Oh. I am the oh. scoopador. All right. I like it. Shana Tova, Troubadour. Well, Shana Tova. Can you yes. come within 100 years of the correct Hebrew year right now? We're within 100 years? What, what is the, the year? What was the you year? You know, it's 2021 right now. What is the corresponding 
Hebrew year? 57, I don't know, 89? Only off by seven years. I think that's okay. a biblical number, seven. 57, 82, you are ahead of yourself. Okay, not so bad. I do have a bone to pick with you, even though it's more about introspection over the high holidays. Can I point out a few little problems I have with you? Tell me. We've got some problems in the world right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but let's take climate change for an, just for one example, right? Yeah. And as I recall, you traveled North America putting on musical tours. You have family all over the world, and you travel a lot. And uh, are you responsible for climate change? I think I am. I am. Okay, now let's let's move on to the problems in Afghanistan. The Taliban taking over. I blame you. Okay. You know why? No. Because you're a Jew, and the Jews are responsible. And so am I. So I'll take that on, okay? Why? Why are the Jews responsible? I don't know. That's just the way it is. I think they have one. Huh? That's what you're saying. That's what Al Qaeda would say, or that's well, what the they Taliban don't much like Jews. They kind of have a different religion and uh, are pretty fundamental about it. Which brings us right to Texas and fundamental religionists who believe that abortion is murder. And I've never seen a law like this. I'm the lawyer, but I blame you, Dave Gunders, for this Texas abortion law because, as your song illustrates this week. Back in the day, the free love era, there you were on stage just virtually seducing women from the stage. As best I could. I know, and and you showed off your guns. We have a video. Do we have your permission to put it up on our YouTube channel? Yes, of course. Tell us about that show you put on. It was a TV show of some kind. What was that? Well, the, we were the scatterbrains. We were popular. Uh, we, were, we were famous in a very small circle, being bolder. And, uh, you know, it, we, we, were, we were approached by, a, um, it, was, it was some kind of, of, of um, local TV network. I don't even remember who they were, but they, they asked if, uh, they would, if we would go into the studio so that they could video us. And we just said yes. We thought it was a nice opportunity, and it turns out that it's great. It's the only remnants of our, visual remnants of the history of the scatterbrains. Man, did you play to the camera or what? Of course. Well, it was. I, I didn't always do that. That song, to me, you know, that, that song was, uh, was was was. It needed hamming up a little bit. It's called "Temporary Love," and it's about. Hey, you may be with a different dude, but I'm a guy you know you want to be with. Do I have the gist of it right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. If there's any if there's any content at all in that song, it was something like that. So just temporary love. Forget about your husband. Forget about your boyfriend. Here I am, the guy with the cool hat. And not just the hat, but a killer mustache. That's right. I knew you would appreciate that. Why don't you still rock that mustache? No, I don't know. I don't know if my wife would like it. You bring it up in this song. What do you say? You'll give up anything or everything to get next to this girl? 
Yeah, my buddy T says, even my mustache. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a nonsense song. It's fun, though. And it's kind of catchy. It is fun. And there's a lot of musical elements. Of course, it's ska, but uh, there's some horn playing, etc. Yeah. But who wrote that song, Temporary Luck? Oh, T and I wrote that song. We wrote the songs for those scatterbrains. And um, and Pat Tugman is the uh, is the sax player. And uh, yeah, Pat plays a, a plays a good solo there. And uh, he was he was always a, a you know a joy and a real a real addition to the band. Well, we are going multimedia this week. Everybody can listen right now to Temporary Love by the Scatterbrains. And you can watch it on our YouTube channel. And the Scatterbrains has a YouTube channel as well. It's something modern technology, isn't it, Dave Gunders? It is. I'm, I'm slowly learning. What <laughs> year would that have been recorded? Probably 1982. And here we are in 82 again. What perfect it's, symmetry. Happy 5782. Thank you. It was a with long a song time from 1982. <laughs> and it's yeah. our troubadour, Dave Gunders, with Temporary Love. How can I get next to you when you belong to somebody new? You may say that we are through, but I know what you want me to do.
on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. I told you that would be great. Dave Gunder's way to go. Temporary love. You got to go to our YouTube channel to look at his mustache. It's a beauty, and I know about mustaches. Steve Woodrow, he is a quote machine. Follow him on Twitter. And thanks again for him being in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. And as regards Vicki Cowart, Pleased to make her acquaintance, and I want to give you an idea of how great Dick Lamb was. Dick Lamb, who came on my show frequently, was in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. We talked about him going to Bolt Hall for law school. And we talked about when he was first a legislator, the courage he showed. He stands up to people. He stood up to people. He stood up to his own Democrat Party. And I liked him. And occasionally when I had input, he listened. And I liked that too. Everybody likes someone who listens. Listen to Vicki Coward pay tribute to the late, great Dick Lamb as we go out. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Leshana Tova may it be a sweet year for you and your family. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show. I'm pleased to introduce the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains. She moved to Denver in 1975 to obtain a degree from the Colorado School of Mines and stayed in Colorado, she says, quote, in large part, due to the favorable environment created by Governor Lamb's three terms. Ms. Vicki Coward. Dottie, when you asked me to be part of this service for Dick, I was deeply honored. And I also struggled a bit with the desire to honor him 
particularly for the difference he made for patients that Planned Parenthood serves and all the challenges they have while not being too political. But my friend Gail Shetler wisely counseled me, be political, it's what Dick would do. So, let me remind you that abortion was criminalized by the Colorado Territory's first legislature in 1861, which prohibited any and all abortions with up to three years of imprisonment. When Dick Lamb was elected to the Colorado House in 1966, birth control and abortion were not widely considered human rights, but crimes. And abortion care was illegal all across Colorado and the country. In 1967, the 32-year-old who'd only been in Colorado for about five years, was still new to the house, worked with a civil rights activist and a Planned Parenthood board chair, Ruth Steele, and State Senator John Birmingham. And together they passed the first bill in the country to liberalize access to abortion care, the first. Their landmark bill opened the door to recognize abortion as a fundamental right. Perhaps his marriage to Dottie helped him understand the importance of bodily autonomy for women and the need to change the status quo. But we know this about Dick Lamb. His values were clear, he followed his beliefs with actions, and even when it wasn't popular, he stuck to his principles, spoke out, and led change. These traits certainly contributed to him being willing to push to liberalize Colorado's abortion laws, even as he stated, this will end my political career. But I just can't not fight for what I believe in. In running his landmark bill, Dick Lamb, the advocate, set aside concern for his own future in elected office, and as so often throughout his career, took the position he believed was right, no matter what. Representative Lamb's bill, with a Republican Senate sponsor, passed with bipartisan support, and Republican Governor John Love signed it into law. Thus, Dick Lamb's legacy is that today, at least here in Colorado, the decision when and whether to have a child is considered a human right. By 1970, only 13 states had followed Colorado's lead and passed their own reforms. Fortunately, times changed, progress was made, and Roe v. Wade became the law of the land in 1973, nearly 50 years ago. And times kept changing. Roe v. Wade made Lamb's law ultimately unenforceable, yet portions of it remained in place until 2013. Dick Lamb also changed with the times. He supported the Colorado Medical Society and other forward-thinking organizations in their successful effort to have the restrictions in his bill declared unconstitutional in light of the Roe v. Wade decision. He watched approvingly as his old law was removed from the books, including the doctor-only provision. Like Lamb's bill, the 2013 update passed with bipartisan support. Today, abortion care can be provided by advanced practice nurses, making access to this safe, common health care available to patients all across Colorado, 
No longer does a patient on the Western Slope have to drive over two mountain passes to receive safe, quality abortion care. Unfortunately, this is not true in most of the states around Colorado. In our region, only Colorado and our southern neighbor, New Mexico, are supportive of meaningful access to abortion. And many patients from neighboring states travel up to 12 hours to receive care here in Colorado. Dick Lamb started the liberalization of abortion law. Colorado voters and legislators, time after time, have followed his lead. Access to abortion is safe in Colorado for now, even as the U.S. Supreme Court does what they are likely to do and reverse Roe. When this happens, even more patients from across the country will benefit from Dick Lamb's vision and advocacy, turning Colorado into a safe, legal, high-quality abortion care haven, as long as we continue to follow Dick Lamb's lead. It is our friend Dick Lamb's legacy that Colorado remains a haven in the Mountain West for patients to find the care they want, they need, and they have a fundamental human right to obtain. Patients from across the country benefit from Dick Lamb's belief in and advocacy for bodily autonomy and the right to make our own healthcare decisions. His visionary courage to risk his political career and carry his idea forward made this a reality for patients across and beyond Colorado. Thank you.